Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we talk to the brightest minds in modern sales and get their tips and advice on all things sales. I'm your interim host, Jenna Sachs from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, I'm thrilled to have Farzad Rashidi on the podcast. Welcome, Farzad. Thanks for having me on the show, Jenna. Farzad is the lead innovator and co-founder at Respana the all-in-one digital PR and link-building software that combines personalization with productivity. Prior to this, he was the first marketing hire and enterprise sales lead at VizMe. So again, super excited to to get into the marketing and sales partnership. Uh, If you are in a revenue-facing role, you already know that no deal is won or lost alone. And the partnership between marketing and sales is crucial to the long-term success of any revenue organization. A really great marketing team plays many different roles in the prospect and customer lifecycle, both publicly and behind the scenes, all with the ultimate goal of why we're all here, to drive revenue and enhance the customer experience. Farzad, I'm super excited to chat with you about your experience and how you look at this cohesive partnership. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about a book you've read recently or something that's resonated with you as, as a resource in your current role? Sure thing. Yeah, I recently finished uh, reading this book called Never Split the Difference. Uh, it's negotiating as if as, as if your life depends on it. It's a book by Chris Voss. And this guy used to be uh, the FBI hostage negotiator. And uh, I know it's quite irrelevant to the world of business, but he actually, the principles he talks about in the book are quite applicable. And, and, and I've learned quite a few things in terms of how to communicate effectively and be able to stand your ground. And uh, and I think the title of the book sort of reveals it all, is that it's never split the difference, which is normally <laughs> what is the go-to strategy for a lot of negotiate negotiators. And I feel like in the world of sales, that is definitely something worth reading. And I, I highly recommend it to folks if they haven't read it. Yeah, that is a good one. I think, I think other people on the podcast have mentioned that in the past. I personally have read it, and it was super interesting just to hear the the whole backstory with the FBI negotiator. And I know that he went into some business schools and you know ended up winning the negotiation every single time. Um, it's personally helped me also as a buyer of products. Um, so yeah, why don't you also tell us a little bit about your background? I know lead innovator is a unique role. I'd love to hear more about that and, and how that's working for your response. Absolutely. The reason why I call myself lead innovator because we couldn't find any better title because my, my job varies by the day. So <laughs> one day one day I'm a salesperson, another day I'm a I'm a marketing person, another per, another day I'm a product person. So um, we we landed on lead innovator. Uh, but <laughs> just to give you a little background, Jenna, I started my career at a company called Vizme, uh, which at the time was quite a tiny little startup. Have you heard of Vizme before, Jenna? Yes, I have. Perfect. Awesome. And so for folks who haven't heard of us, uh, Vizme is an all-in-one brand content creation platform. So any businesses, normally SMEs or enterprise, uh, that are looking to create visual content like presentations, infographics, reports, and whatnot, we enable them to be able to create on-brand content in a matter of a few minutes, uh, especially by folks who don't have a design background. And uh, basically, when I joined the company, I uh, was the first marketing slash salesperson. <laughs> and uh, before then, we had founder-led sales by the founder of the company, Paymon, who is my co-founder here at Respawner as well. And at the time, we basically were trying to figure out a customer acquisition channel that we could easily scale without having to pour a ton of cash into paid advertising. 
And Avismi's product at the time was quite affordable. So that um, a lot of the customer base, I would say 80% of our customers were team plan or, or smaller teams or as from SMBs that started at $14, $15 a month. So uh, from the get-go, since the product was early on, did it make sense to have a sales team to be able to, you know, hire SDRs and AEs and go do demos and hunt down customers. So we had to sort of position ourselves to show up in places where customers who were looking for a product or service come and find us. So we invested a ton in our SEO. And the real key, uh, I would say, driver of our SEO, so Vizme right now, just to give you a little sense of the scale, we're still a bootstrap company with 14 million active users, close to 100 employees, fully profitable. And the way we acquired all these customers is through, I would say, two and a half to three million monthly organic traffic that we get to our website. And right now, I would say 85% of our leads, including all of our enterprise leads, come through our uh, SEO channels. And, and the process of sort of um, scaling our traffic to that, uh, to that level uh, led to the creation of Respond because we had to do a good amount of outreach, not necessarily just for sales, but also for building partnerships with relevant publications in our space. And uh, we built this tool that just worked ridiculously well, and we decided to release it as a standalone tool. So that's sort of the backstory of how Respawn came to be as a as a, a separate software. So I shifted away from Vizme and now running Respawna, uh, but now Vizme has their own sales team and marketing team, uh, much smarter people to run it. Uh, they don't need me anymore, so <laughs> focus more on the Respawna side. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really interesting background. I think any small startup, you're wearing a million different hats. I've been there personally. Um, so it, it does give you a good, well-rounded experience and, and does also, it's really telling on the customer experience and the the journey that marketing does drive. Again, we love to have guests of all different backgrounds on here to really talk about how that helps sales. So I know today we want to talk about more of that demo, right? And and what happens with demo and intent and and how the partnership really drives a successful demo. So I would love to hear what's top of mind for you on that process. And and really, I know we wanted to start with doing prospect research prior to the demo, right? So yeah, let's just kind of hear what's top of mind for you there. Sure thing. So, I've, uh, you know, Jenna, I've done my fair share of demos over the years, uh, both uh, dealing with enterprise sales on the Visme side and now working with SMBs on the, on the respondent side. And I would say I do five to six demos a day, every day for the past <laughs> Gosh, God knows how many years. And so you kind of learn a few things uh, and mainly through failures, bad demos, I'd say, uh, in terms of figuring out what works and what doesn't and seeing the deals come through and the ones that fall through and, and, and understanding what sort of uh, triggered each one. So I would say personally, uh, when I'm getting ready to get on a demo call, so regardless of how your organization operates, whether you are inbound first company or outbound, it takes quite a lot of work to get that customer or potential customer on the call. So you don't want to mess that up. That 30 minutes you got is gold. And it normally requires a team of people that worked day and night to get that demo call booked. So as a sales rep, either you're AE or, or you're SDR, it, it's very important to make sure you're hitting all the bases and so to push, push the deal forward. So one, one thing that you first want to do is to get a little background info in terms of how you've in, started your interaction with that customer. So normally demos are vastly different if, if the leads has come through an outbound channel. So meaning you went after that customer and got that customer, come and have a call with you or another member of your team has done it. And also an inbound lead. So first of all, understanding before you get on that call, what is that lead? Is that an inbound lead or an outbound lead? 
And normally, if you're using a CRM, the first where it's normally started is to understand, okay, is it an outbound lead? Okay, great. Let's go read the communication that person's had with an SDR team or with whoever is in charge of that initial interaction. If they have filled out a form or if they have uh, basically uh, that email threat of understanding, okay, we first reach out to, for example, head of sales at Sales Loft. And they've put me in charge or put me in touch with Jenna of RevOps. Understand why that exchange happened. So normally I like to go ahead and look up all the people involved in that threat on LinkedIn and understand, okay, where do they stand in the organization charge? So understanding deeply how that customer opened communication with you, who has been passed on to get to that person, why you're having a conversation with that person in the first place is normally step one. And that's the same also with inbound leads as well. So if they filled out a demo form, what did they said on that demo form? Who did they were in touch with? What was the main problem they were trying to solve? Any information you can get from your initial conversation is gold. Number two is doing a little bit of digging. I know it sounds a little creepy, but uh, looking up that person, see where they're located, right? Start brainstorming on dropping a fun fact. And, and, and whereabouts they're, they're based out of, right? They're in Florida, like, yeah, I'm actually coming to a wedding in June. You know, having that initial icebreaker ready to roll at the beginning of the call is very important in order to come across as a human, not just a salesperson, and start building that trust and that relationship with the prospect. So having an understanding of, okay, what's your position within the company? Great. How long have they been there? Are they new? Okay, if they're new, they're likely either trying to impress a person they just hired them. <laughs> so they're looking for other new product or solutions to bring to the organization. But under having those key information in bullet points before the call is very important having a successful demo. Yeah, I, I love the, the prospect research part. And, and, you know, I think we're all a little creepy with social media these days <laughs> um, to really find What's the person's background? What are the things that they might have purchased in the past? What's their tech stack today um, that they may be using? And, and include that if you can find it outside of talking to them. Um, it's, it's always good to have a little bit of a head start and an idea of also what the company does, right? You know, with that being said, how do you, I know marketing is a is huge intent driver, right? And you're looking at uh, hand raisers, like you mentioned, if someone does come through an organic channel versus outbound there's a difference in what, like what you said before, right? In what that demo looks like, whether they're inbound or outbound. What do you see as the key difference between those two channels when running a demo? Sure. And we, we do predominantly, I would say 90% of our calls that, that we get on are inbound leads. So I would say the main difference is, is how you start the call. All right. So in my opinion, if there's someone who's coming in as an inbound lead, you want to first understand how they found you and what are they trying to resolve. So coming in and actually asking and diving into the problem first is normally a, a, a good first step to understand exactly what they're trying to do with your platform. If they're an outbound lead, on the other hand, what you first want to do is to ask about their current process and if they're already utilizing any sort of product or service for that. Because that's going to help you understand, okay, first of all, what are these people doing currently? that we could improve on. It's difficult for you to understand how your product is going to help them if you don't understand exactly what they're doing currently. <laughs> so nobody understands their business better than them. So 
I would normally, after that icebreaker, normally people are working from home. It's good to have that first one or two minutes of chit-chat to kind of open up that line of communication. And it's very important not to go overboard with that because people are sick and tired of Zoom calls. Now, another thing I forgot to mention during the research process is if you're actually demoing the product. So a lot of salespeople that I've seen so unfortunately, they don't actually take the time to share their screen and show the product or the service to the customer and go based off of a sales pitch deck. And I highly advise against that, even though we sell a presentation software. VizMe <laughs> is a presentation software. Well, we don't use that as, a, as an initial point of uh, starting a conversation because if somebody, especially if you're in a software business, so... Uh, but what they want to understand is that, hey, how would that workflow look like if I were to become a customer of this product? So having that demo, um, I would say, route sort of planned and make sure that you're giving them relevant examples to that particular use case. And, and that's something that you want to do also during your research process. So if you are, for example, let me give you an example so it would make sense. So Respond is a link building outreach software. One of the first questions I ask is that, hey, so what are you guys looking to do with Respond? And a lot of the times the answer is, hey, I'm looking to build backlinks to my blog articles. I'm like, okay, that's great. Let's uh, go ahead and see how we can do that, right? Are you using any other tools? The conversation is normally flipped. What I've done that they don't know <laughs> is that right before the call, I've actually pulled their blog and I've picked one and I've gone through that process already and I have tabs on my browser with specific keywords that we normally use with that pre-built in so that I can actually breeze through that demo that is personalized to exactly what the use case of that product is. What, what I'm trying to say is that having that route sort of pre-planned so you can breeze through and having that route sort of in your browser uh, as you go through it tells the prospect, implies I have actually done my research and I've, and I've spent the time. And, and the demo becomes a lot more relevant versus if, see if you were just going flipping through a sales pitch deck. So that that's sort of where I would leave it at. It sounds like you end up having, you know, that, that tool where you, with, with Respondo, you can pull those backlinks and kind of see what, what they're doing today a little bit easier. How do you recommend this for, for companies that maybe don't have that level of research, right? Like if you have a, an out-of-the-box software, you still want to tailor it. But what if you can't tailor that immediately? I think that maybe there is more of a need for a preliminary call. Would be interested to see your thoughts. I actually disagree with you, Jenna. I think pretty much any software you can tailor. So let's, let's take SalesLoft as an example. It is an out-of-the-box tool. You have a list of prospects and that you can export out of your platform and you can start an email sequence and build an email sequence. The two touch points I would personalize if I were to get a demo from SalesLoft, what I like to see from that AE to do on that demo is to have a list of prospects built out based on his basic understanding of my target persona. Even if that template is not very well written, even if that prospect list is not 100%, that's totally okay. For the purpose of a demo, as long as you've put in the effort to try to tailor that to the customer, regardless of, so just put yourself in their shoes, okay, if they put pull our software out or pull their your product out and, and they would like to use it on a daily. What would they do with it? And have that built in with relevant examples, I think it's a lot more effective than going and flipping through sales pitch decks. Yeah, to be clear, I'm not saying that a, a sales pitch deck is it. Um, I just, you know, I think 
in some organizations, again, maybe you do need a little bit more of that discovery piece, or if you have the opportunity to get more discovery before you go into that full-scale demo, that's where I'm coming from on that. Um, but yes, I agree that it should be tailored as possible. And I think at the end of the day, to your point, even if it's not perfect, right, the customer is going to tell you, they know their business better than anyone else. They're going to tell you, hey, you actually got this wrong. Um, <laughs> so that actually leads me into my next question, right? With software, you might see this where, again, something comes inbound and people don't really know what they're going inbound for. They don't know necessarily everything your product offers, even based on the website or, or things like that, especially for small startups. So I would love to hear about a time you've had maybe a bad demo or a bad perception of what your product does and how you turn that around or even didn't. Sure. So one of the things that we had to change in our sales process is the question of what does your product do? What does your company do? Because when you ask someone that, especially people that are salespeople or marketing people, these are very extroverted people. And they like to talk about what they do because they're likely or hopefully passionate about what they do. So I would never ask you, Jenna, for example, if you do a demo call with me, hey, what does sales love do? Because what that's going to do is that that's going <laughs> to trigger another 15 minute of conversation that I'm going to not have the opportunity to be able to actually present a product and have, have a chance to build that credibility and level of trust with you. So a lot of times people are always say in sales training, hey, get the client to start talking. That's great. But you got to make sure you prime your questions right in a way that you'll be able to keep control of the conversation, meaning you're asking questions that's leading them into a result. And another thing is also very important to um, have the agenda for the call. So one issue that we had during our demo calls, we always like to give you a one to two minute background of, hey, how do we came about as a product? Because that automatically builds this level of credibility. Now, our team would automatically start talking about that. And what that did was annoy the prospect into thinking that, oh, this guy's not just going to talk about <laughs> their company and their entire life story, and I could care less. So understanding that, uh, that agenda and understanding the timeframes actually verbalizing that to the prospect before you dive in. So after that one to two minute icebreaker, you want to tell the prospect the agenda. Hey, the first one to two minutes, I'm going to discuss a little, give you a little background behind our company. And the rest 15 minutes, I'm actually going to share my screen and walk you through entire, the entire workflow that I've actually spent time to, to personalize for your use case. And then hopefully we can wrap this call up within about 20 to 25 minutes and jump into your questions. How does that sound? They're going to say, okay. And that means you have their permission to now move forward. So it doesn't annoy the person. They know what's coming. And you can adjust your time so that you can wrap things up within that end of 30 minutes. So being able to finish on time and cover all bases. So have leave enough room to first tell them about the background, build credibility. Two, show them the functionalities that they need after you've discovered what exactly the problem it is that they're trying to solve. And also leave enough room for first pricing and also their questions. It is very important to, to, um, to get that uh, taken into account. And that's something that, that we have the most trouble with. It's, it's making sure you keep control of the conversation so that it doesn't run longer. There's obviously follow-ups. There's things that happen after. So I, I would love to dive deeper into after the demo, right? You know, you've guided the conversation, you've gotten the prospects buy-in. What are the next steps and how are you setting those expectations both on the demo and throughout the rest of the sales cycle? Sure thing. 
So at the end of that demo, you want to hit two points before you let the prospect go. One is asking them, hey, what would be a good next step for you in terms of moving forward? So what that does is for them to tell you what their game plan is. Most likely, what they're going to end up with is saying, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm happy to speak with my team and get back to you and, and see exactly what, what they would say. Normally, there are multiple decision makers involved when it comes to purchasing a new product or service. And then normally what I would like to say is when would be a good time for me to follow up just in case I didn't hear back. Now let's put a timeline for that decision and that next step. So now that we know what we're trying to do, what would be a good time for me to follow up just in case I didn't hear back? Normally a week or two. Now you got the timeline and know exactly what they're going to do after. Go ahead and end the call. Now in that follow-up email I'm going to send right after the call is you want to include I like to normally throw in the, the recording of that conversation. It's normally going to save a lot of time because what happens is that, let's say you did a demo, especially if you're not doc- talking directly with the decision maker, which normally isn't the case, especially with larger deals, is that there's going to be multiple people who are like, oh, I'd like to take a look at it. How are they going to take a look at it? You're going to send them a one pager or a PDF? Nobody's going to read that. So. Go ahead and record the calls and make sure you at the beginning of the call, you mentioned that, hey, I'm recording this just so I can share the recording with you afterwards. And chop up that recording. And that, that meat in the sandwich is where you actually start talking through the product, put it in a Google Drive or whatever other CRM they use and send the link to them. Make it easy for them to share your software with their, custom, uh, with, with their team members. And another thing is also if you're in, including pricing and stuff in there, be crystal clear. Mention that, hey, based on your use case, here's the plan that I recommended. Here's exactly how much it's going to cost, right? And make sure that you set up a time to follow up. And, and, and that depends on the time frame that they've given you. To respect the timeline they've given, given you. And that follow up that you send always needs to include a case study. So that's something that I always like to uh, remind our team to do always include in that email that, hey, by the way, we just released a case study with this and that company in their space that helped them twice or double their organic traffic, whatever product they're selling. What that does is that it piques their curiosity versus saying, hey, just a a reminder about my previous email. Those normally get no replies. (laughs) So you want to make sure at each step of the follow-up sequence, you are adding some value. And depending on the, the price point and the type of customers you work with, you want to make sure you add a level of personalization to that email that you're sending at each follow-up step. And don't just say, hey, regarding my last email, I was wondering whether you received it. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I'd love to you know, tie this back more to marketing, right? And what, you know, just from your opinion and your experience, what is marketing's role? I know initially you have that organic traffic, maybe you're getting that inbound lead, but what role do you think marketing should be playing in the rest of the life cycle from this point on? Absolutely. So one of the first things that um, the team does when they want to purchase your platform, normally it's a team decision. It's rarely a case. It's rarely, I've never, I haven't seen in many products that when you're selling, especially dealing with larger clients, that it, one per, singular person is going to make a decision on that. And most of the other people that don't attend the call, first thing they're going to do is to come and land on your website. So that homepage is your chance to imply the effectiveness of your product and put it in very simple words because people have a attention span of, of a goldfish to explain here's what your product does. 
And one thing I've always appreciated in software companies is that they are transparent with their pricing. Now, I know there is some controversy there. <laughs> some, some products don't like it. Uh, but as a person who's worked with software companies, we found it a lot more effective to have pricing details on the website and keep things as simple as possible. So for people who land on your website, you want to be extremely explicit in terms of what your software or product does, how much it costs, and what, what it's done for other people. And having that element of social proof along with transparency is going to, get, it's going to be very helpful along the way. Yeah, all great insights. Um, so as, as we wrap this up, I'd love to leave our listeners with one last thought from you. Again, uh, you know, just going back to that partnership. Um, as a marketer and someone who's done a lot in sales as well and done a lot of demos, uh, what is the one piece of advice you would have for a sales team to, to build an effective relationship with marketing? One thing I would say, and that, that's obviously something that I've been, I'm, I'm very biased at, and, and that is working with companies that deal with inbound leads. <laughs> I know some products, some services are built in a way that obviously outbound plays a very big, important role. But as a salesperson, your quality of life is going to be a lot higher if the leads actually have raised their hands and they, they're coming to you as, as a prospect. Uh, now, not saying that that is the right technique for every single company. I, I always say every every business has their own um, acquisition channels and strategies. But uh, but what one thing I would recommend folks do is to not neglect inbound. It's very easy as, as salespeople to uh, focus entirely on uh, building a prospect list and, and outreach and different templates. Which again, something that we do ourselves. Obviously, they go hand in hand but not also neglecting it inbound. And that's something that I would highly, I'm would i an advocate for. Just something to keep in mind when it comes to planning the overall strategy. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, so if somebody does want to get in touch with you, uh, what is the best way for them to reach you? Whether they want to talk about Respana or demos or marketing or anything we talked about today. Sure thing. Well, my name is Farzad Rashi, and there aren't a whole lot of them in this world. So I'm, I stick out like a sore thumb on LinkedIn. So feel free to give me a shout out there. I love to connect with folks, uh, fellow salespeople. I always appreciate that. Feel free to pitch yourself, your pro- pitch your product to me. I always love to receive these good cold emails and, and give some feedback when I receive them. Uh, but I also at the same time, uh, uh, Respana.com is our platform. Not something that I would recommend to all salespeople to check out. Something to pass on to your marketing in case you're hungry for some more inbound leads. That's probably something that they, they could help them out. And Respond.com with quite a lot of uh, free educational material on there. So I recommend you to check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Um, it's a great conversation and you know, look forward to speaking again soon. Sounds like a plan. Thank you for having me. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.